0: Hi, this is Jason from Earth, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is
1: everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. To the podcast concerts that made us interviews and stories tales from the bus we love taking you back to when it all went down the greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound it's concerts concerts that made us concerts that made us dot com
2: joining me on the 100th episode of concerts that made us is Jason from Outh Outh recently released their album Catastrophe and you're gonna hear all about it. Jason is a world renowned drummer who started drumming at the age of 4 and went on to play in some pretty cool bands and play all over the world. Outh is a project where Jason takes the lead on vocals and guitar instead of on drums and they really rock. So without further ado, Let's get on with the show. very welcome to concerts that made us
0: thanks so much for having me and awesome to be here
2: I'm genuinely excited to have you now I've been I mean I've been wearing out your album on Spotify I've just I've been listening to it on repeat it's one of the few albums this year that you know every song is an absolute banger it's just you can leave it on you don't have any skips whatsoever
0: that's amazing to hear that's really, really, really cool to hear. I hope you don't say that to everybody.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't believe it. I think that might be the first time I've said it.
0: <laughs> wow, that's really cool, man. Sure, that's really awesome to hear. So
2: we opened the show with Breakout. It's off the album yeah. Catastrophe, which you released on Friday the 9th. Would you like to tell us a bit about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, um it actually started out as not being a collab song. Um and it was it's just a really straightforward rock and roll. There's nothing fancy to it. And um I just started messing around on the guitar and I was like, Oh, this is really cool, really simple, let's keep going. And then um I was just um hanging out with my one friend Albert Frost, who's a really great guitarist and uh, vocalist, and I asked him what he thought, and he was like, Wow, this is insane. And then I said, um, why don't you just take the second verse and let's, you know, do something with it. And then he was, he was like, cool, let's do it. And then he came into the studio and literally half an hour and he had done his vocals and his guitar and the song was complete.
2: Jeez. That's uh, yeah. that's not something we hear very often though.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was actually quite interesting. So, um, I got a contract to go. So I'm actually a drummer. So I, um, I got a contract to go play in Dubai and it was about a month and a half before I had to go. So then I, I decided to quickly write this album. So I wrote, recorded, and did everything in just under a month, which is quite <laughs> crazy. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez. There's also a, a pretty cool music for the offered song, isn't there?
0: Yeah, man. Um, so I've, I've actually shot... The nine music videos before I left, and there will be like a constant storyline throughout the the full album's music videos.
2: I'm really picking up on you like to like not give yourself much time to complete massive projects.
0: No, listen, definitely a workaholic, and definitely um, I like to do everything and have it done as in yesterday. Mm. <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> And the album features appearances by some legends of the South African music scene How did you manage to wrangle all these musicians together?
0: Um, So I've been in the industry now for about 19 years And I've been in some of the very big bands in South Africa So I'm actually quite fortunate to have all these guys as friends You know, we, we've we all been sort of sharing various stages, you know, throughout all the year. So it was quite, quite easy to round up these guys. And I've definitely got a cool list that I want to do for the next album. And um, it's just really cool, you know, because it's predominantly just me on these albums. So It's myself and the guy that I, whose studio I record at. And it's just him and I who play all the instruments. Um, and then I write all the songs myself. Um so it's quite cool to have these elements of um collabs where you get to just pick someone else's brain, you know, for that one song and um just adds a nice refreshing element to it.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say it must be a, a refreshing experience. But when it comes time for you to make a new record, what is the process like? You know, where do you find your influences? How do you come up with the uh the sound?
0: So it's quite interesting. So I I actually play so many gigs that when i'm not playing i actually don't even listen to the radio i don't i when i'm in the car the radio is off i literally never listen to music mm-hmm. um just cuz yeah just cuz i'm always learning new songs and i i have a a youtube drumming channel so i'm always learning songs for that and i'm learning songs for sessions and i also record drums on other people's albums so I'm so busy kind of on the work side of music that when I'm not working, I actually just don't want to listen to music. (laughs) It's quite, quite, quite uh, ironic.
2: Yeah, yeah, just a bit. (laughs) And um, you've achieved a lot since 2018, releasing two studio rock albums, two live DVDs, an acoustic and an acoustic live album. It's a lot in four years. Does it feel like your career has been a bit of a whirlwind in that sense? Or for you, does it feel like it's been a long journey to this point?
0: Um, Yeah, man, it's definitely been crazy. Um, I'm actually in the process of finishing up my previous album's live DVD, which will be coming out early next year. And um, I just think I really like to work, you know, just not so slow. I think... You know, you get people that just love to chill, and you get other people who just love to work. And you know? I, I just l- like to see how far I can push this, you know. And it's, you know, and it's still a passion project at the end of the day. Um, you know, playing guitar and singing. I definitely don't classify myself as a singer or a guitarist, but in this band, it's what I happen to play. But yeah, I mean, it's just a really cool passion project, and I think the the songs are cool. You know, I I really enjoy it
2: yeah yeah the air the air they're very very cool it's uh for a guy that has so much going on and you know it's almost kind of seem not like not to say it's not your main focus but you've you're spreading yourself around so much it's uh it's pretty cool that it's so good you know what i mean
0: yeah um is there is there anything you could compare the sound to out of out of interest
2: that's that's a very good one now there was i was picking up bits of the foo fighters that was kind of yeah probably the main one a little sprinkling of maybe green day i could pick that up as well they'd be the two main ones but was mostly the foo fighters now that stuck out for me
0: all right that's awesome
2: what about yourself what do you uh like to compare to
0: well, I I've sort of, you know, I've also asked quite a few people and no one's really been able to really label it. You know, like some bands you just go like, oh wow, that sounds just like Rage Against the Machine, or oh, that sounds just like 21 Pilots. But I think I've had one guy tell me it sounds similar to offspring. And I think that's pretty much all I've really had. Yeah, from from kind of the outside, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. And you know, Outh is much more than a band. It's a brand as well with clothing, coffee and wine. What can you tell us about that? How did you, you know, set it up to be more than a band?
0: So, I, you know, I guess it's kind of standard for bands to have merchandising. So, you know, instead of doing three or four or two T-shirts, I think we did like a 12-piece line. So there's multiple items. And then... um I'm, you know, I really went through a phase of loving coffee, just drinking a hell of a lot, way too much. So then it kind of made sense to bring out coffee, you know, and then, um, and then, you know, like a little booze. So um, thought, well, what's the healthiest option to go? In? And then that was wine. So went for a a twenty nineteen Pinotage, which is really, really good in lockdown. I definitely uh, overexerted myself on a good few cases of that wine. <laughs> I think two years became one year. <laughs> yeah,
2: It's kind of thinking outside the box as well for coffee and wine for merch for a band. Is there any other products that, you know, the normal person wouldn't expect that you maybe are thinking up?
0: Um, at the moment, I haven't really been thinking too much about um the merchandising side of the band. I think there was just a lot of focus in getting this album done and released. um, As I'm sort of dabbling in some other stuff, um, more film related, but still considering Outh within that, which I'm looking to maybe explore and um, maybe do like a a, a nice release that will shock a few people in around June next year. And um, so all my focus has sort of been there. And then I'm also scheduled to go play, um, to do another contract in the Maldives and um, the Caribbean island. So, um, you know, just been kind of occupied with the drumming side of my life for now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Something I've noticed is you've received earplay. You might as well say around the world, you know, it's, a lot in Europe, Ireland, but from talking to so many South African bands, something I've noticed is the majority of them don't get much exposure outside the country, especially not on radio play. How did you go about getting your music out there, you know, outside of South Africa?
0: To be really honest, I actually have no idea how that
1: happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am. Yeah. When like, uh, Sometimes when I see these things, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know. Um, I, I, I went on to Spotify this morning and I saw, yeah, where was it? Um, I think it's a year. Then I saw since I released this last album, my Spotify has gone up 380% change since last month. And it's pretty crazy. It's quite a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, just a bit. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, I guess I just sort of, you know, sit back and really enjoy to watch how cool this little adventure is going, you know, and I, I mean, I definitely would love to get this band touring abroad, you know, I I, I think it could really do well in um, Europe and UK, maybe even the US. I think it might have a bit of a US appeal.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's that kind of rock music that's, I don't want to say easy listening because it's not in the easy listening genre, but, you know, as soon as you hear it, or if you were driving along and you heard it on the radio, you'd instantly feel your foot tapping along, your head bobbing, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's a, that's cool to hear, you know, because that's always cool when you, you know, you, there's always records that you can put on. I mean, I'm a massive Zeppelin fan and, you know, you can easily put on a Zeppelin album and you can just cruise down the road, you know, just drive along the beach and just tap your finger on the wheel, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Is there any plans to release physical copies like vinyl or CDs?
0: I definitely want to. I just think um, it's quite tricky in South Africa. We don't have a a really big rock and roll market. Um, We have some really cool rock and roll bands, but they never really seem to last very long because they all kind of give up because there isn't really... Um, a good longevity scene over here. You know, you can't really play full-time. I would say there's maybe three bands that play full-time. You know, they they just do music. With, you know, I'm referring now to rock and roll. We have our, um, you know, we have a massive Afrikaans scene, which is the local language. And then we have a very, very big um, urban scene. But as far as English rock goes, it's really small. and really niche
2: yeah yeah that's something i've heard a lot before was there ever a scene for english rock there or you know is it like a cycle was a popular maybe 10 20 years ago and it's died back down now or
0: yeah i definitely think it was massive you know i mean in the the 90s there was just a massive scene i mean see came from here, you know Mm. so they came from here um yeah, there's actually, been, there's actually been some really big, uh, you know, really good bands, but without the correct funding and without a good infrastructure over yeah, here, it's really hard to go abroad. Also, if you're considering things like exchange rates and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, true, true. And, you know, the pandemic, as a musician and a musician in South Africa, I know it closed a lot of venues. There was practically no gigs. How did you deal with it? How did you get through it?
0: Um, well, I was selling a lot of wine and um, coffee to just kind of keep the income happening. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really great time to just um, look back, you know, and just see how lucky we all were to have gigs and to be able to play full-time, you know, I've been really lucky. I've been playing music now for 20 years, 19 years, and there isn't many people that has managed to push it for that long, especially over here. Um, So I guess it was really cool. And then what I think was the sort of best part of it was when everything opened up again, because at the moment there is a massive boom, and I think it's worldwide, where there is just festivals and events going Nonstop, you know every weekend you can find multiple shows probably around the world that you can go watch you know everybody's touring
2: yeah yeah they really are and it's funny over here it seems like everybody is coming in june like we have massive bands all playing in june next year and it's like how am i supposed to first of all go to all them concerts and how am i supposed to get the time off work you know
0: yeah exactly (laughs) and to i mean and to afford all these tickets
2: that's the other side of it yeah yeah you nearly need a mortgage
0: yeah exactly um have you just totally off topic have you seen that um blink reunion tour
2: oh man that's a very touchy subject (laughs) i missed i missed tickets
0: oh really i mean i cannot believe it's It was so refreshing to see a rock band or punk rock band announce this worldwide tour, and they were just selling out quicker than pop artists.
2: That's a side that I didn't actually think of, actually. Yeah, it was refreshing to see that, because normally it's the pop artists that sell out in seconds, but it was actually cool to see them sell out in seconds.
0: I mean, you know, you will see Gaga or Rihanna or Pink or... Taylor Swift, you know, they will announce, a, or Beaver, they will announce a show, and in a couple of hours, it's all sold out. Um, so, But, I mean, Guns N' Roses will post a show, and it probably won't sell out. Or it it will, but it will take a good couple of weeks, you know. Um, so for a three-piece pop-punk band, you know, to be just selling out and just adding dates, I, I mean, I think the whole 2023 was fully booked and already majority sold out, which is crazy.
2: Oh, it is. It is. The tickets are like gold dust, you know. I think there's some left for over here, but they're like the VIP ones that are like, you know, 400
0: euro each. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, that (laughs) is crazy. There was actually a petition going around South Africa where people were signing a document to to present to Blink to actually come here, to come play. Really? Yeah, it was bloody bizarre.
2: <laughs> and I I take it it didn't work.
0: No, not as far as I know. Um, I just think they are just too expensive, you know. Um, no one's going to be paying €4,000, I mean €400 euro to go watch a show. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I think some people make that as a salary.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like a week's wages or... Yeah, exactly. But back to the whole thing you said a second ago of uh pop artists selling out, and you know, there was one concert I thought for sure would sell out in seconds. You know the the Motley Crew and Def Leopard World Tour?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That really shocked me because it was announced they were playing over here in Ireland, and Motley Crew have never played Ireland before, I don't think. I was thinking. Get up early, be online like two hours beforehand, getting the queue. As of recording today, there's still tickets and they've been on sale, I think, for like four or five months. I feel like the concert is going to be ca- called off because nobody bought
0: tickets. Wow, that is crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's one of them ones, though. You'd be sure that they would sell out and they just didn't.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I can definitely tell you. That a uh, one one band that is sounding incredible at the moment. Not that they ever didn't, but Def Leppard they are on fire at the moment. They are sounding so good. Modly Crew, I, I think they're going through a fair amount of problems. You know, with what's it, Mick Mars that's left.
2: Yeah, yeah. John Five has stepped in, hasn't
0: he? Yeah. So they've had that, and then obviously all the the vocal issues that they're currently having with Vince just not nailing it and not looking like he's going to last a three-hour show, you know? I think
2: they're one of them bands, though. You know, everybody's probably expecting them to cancel as well, but they're not exactly a band you go to see excellent musicianmanship.
0: Yeah, you go for that experience, you know? I mean, also, their, their production is on a different level. It's crazy.
2: Yeah, exactly. We'll uh, we better get back to your music.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> now in uh in twenty twenty, you teamed up with Tattooers Unite to create a live show and crowdfunding initiative to raise funds for tattoo artists and stage crew. What was that process like?
0: Yeah, you know, um, so it was just kind of crazy to see all the people that set up the festival stages and um all the tattoo artists, you know, they all weren't allowed to work because of COVID. So we were, you know, there was quite a lot of people doing things where they were putting together like food parcels and stuff for the crew guys. And um, the one company that I was affiliated with, um, I I had a meeting there for something else and they were telling me about this. And I said, well, why don't we just do a free online show where the band plays for free and people can donate money. And with that money, we can give it back to them. To buy, you know, more food or whatever to give back to these people who can't work, and uh, yeah, then we did it and went. Yeah, went pretty amazing. How was the uh,
2: the experience? You know, from being on the other side of it, from putting on a show instead of playing a show.
0: Um, well, I actually have an entertainment company where I book and manage a couple of artists, so you know, it was kind of cool, but it was pretty much normal obviously it was my first online show i had never done an online show before so that was definitely interesting because there's definitely no um there's you know there's no audience so you have to kind of go crazy on stage to no one <laughs> and then um you're also talking to people that you can't see during songs which is also quite weird and um yeah then obviously you know you you kind of naturally feel like you can stop and redo stuff because there's no one there. But um, in reality, you can't because there's a lot of people watching it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Most must must be hard to step out of that whole. This is more like a rehearsal mindset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At this stage, we'll, we'll dive into your music history for a bit to see how you got where you are. You're a renowned drummer, guitarist, folklist. But I'd love to know where your love for music comes from. Can you remember your earliest musical memory?
0: Um, So my dad was a drummer. So at about four years old, I started playing drums. And then um, I think I was about seven or eight. Then I would play a song with his band on a Friday or a Saturday night. And then they would pass around this hat and I would end up making more money than him. That was pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right people were quite impressed you know you couldn't even see this little kid behind the drums you just saw the drumsticks moving in the air
2: <laughs> i see i see so uh you uh you never had to deal with anxiety or stage fright from doing it from such an early age
0: yeah i've actually never thought of that i i mean i always just thought uh, you know i've kind of been lucky enough to be playing for so long that i don't get that kind of stage fright. the the very first youth gig, I thought I would get stage fright because obviously I'm a drummer, and um, I think only when I walked out on stage to you know as the intro played, um, and I walked out on stage, there was a little bit of a oh shit, like why am I, why am I holding a guitar now? You know, um, is this is this gonna go down okay? Um, but yeah. That was sort of the the first and only time I really had any crazy feeling. You know, I always tell myself, if you can do it in the rehearsal room, you should be able to do it in front of people. But it's not always that easy. And then obviously, if you mixing in alcohol, it also becomes a bit challenging. (laughs) Just a bit. Yeah. (laughs) And as a teenager...
2: What kind of music were you exposed to by your peers? And how do you think it molded you into the musician you
0: are today? Um, Definitely oh, Deep Purple, Zeppelin, Uriah Heep, uh, Thin Lizzy. I think you can hear some of the Thin Lizzy guitar harmonies in the Earth stuff. There's quite a bit of harmony guitar parts, which I'm, you know, I definitely got that from Thin Lizzy. Uh, what else did I really listen to? Um, massive Metallica fan. I uh, Also grew up watching them, and quite lucky I got to open for them for two nights out here in South Africa. That was quite a oh man, quite a, <laughs> a interesting one, yeah.
2: Yeah, I could imagine. Jeez, how did a uh, how did yeah. that come about?
0: We heard that they were coming out here, and then yeah, then we got asked to be the opening act in the band I was in, and um, <clears throat> yeah, then we did. Two nights with them it was really really something to behold, I'll tell you that. They definitely a massive traveling party with a very well-organized setup.
2: And is it like all of us, you know, normal people would imagine you're backstage hanging out with them all day until you go on stage?
0: Um, no, not really. Lars was walking, walking around with what I would imagine was his P.A., Um, They were just walking around and doing stuff. And then James walked past myself and the guitarist. And then he was like, hey, aren't you guys the band that opened for us last night? We were like, oh, my God. don't really know what to say right now. This is crazy. And then, uh, yeah, it was quite cool. On the second night, we got to do a meet and greet with him. And um, for about 20 minutes, we were just standing backstage talking and yeah, it was really cool and um, it was quite funny, interesting story. A couple of years later, I was in the Rainbow on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and Kirk Hammond was there and I was really drunk and I was really convinced that he was going to remember me from, South, Af- from <laughs> South Africa. And I was like, hey, Kirk, how's it going? Do you remember me? And he was just like, no, nah. like, you know, I no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a... Quite a little dream crusher right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting times. Yeah. Jeez.
2: If that happened to me, I think I'd give up right there and then. You know, after the second night, I'd be like, okay, I can retire now. I've I've played for Metallica. Can't get much
0: better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they are just incredible, you know. Well, according to me, they can do nothing wrong. Besides... It's an angus snare sound. But other than that, <laughs> I think I think everything's cool, you know. They are just one of the I like even when they brought out that new single now, you just listen to it and you're like, oh yeah, this is Metallica.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is Metallica as they are meant to be. Exactly, yeah. Flash forward a couple of years, what were the first steps you took to becoming, you know, a working musician?
0: Um you're Oh, you know, I think in the, in the beginning, I was playing four bands as a very young teenager. And being in those bands, I, I always felt like there was things that could have been done better. So in my late teens, I started running my own bands and putting together my own things. And sort of from then, I've sort of just played, you know, just always been doing my, my own thing. But I have sessions for other bands like a very very big bands and um you know obviously those bands they're all doing st- stuff correctly. so yeah other than that i i just think if you want to be a, a constant working musician you know you kind of need to have your own thing because then you in control of how often you work that's a good point all right and what was the the local scene like you know when
2: in the days when you were just starting off was a very oversaturated
0: there were so many bands and we used to have these skate park events, which looking back now, it was really rubbish, but there were so many people there, like so many kids, careless, you know, it was like really these punk rock put together events with like no lights and playing at a skate park with a small PA and, um, maybe 10 bands on the lineup and, you know, just kids going crazy for 12 hours. Jeez, that actually sounds like a great fondle. It used to be amazing, you know. <laughs> and um, But I don't think you get those kind of events anymore. I, I think it was kind of like a van's warp to a field, you know, where kids are skating and riding BMXs, and in the middle of the skate park is a band with a couple of hundred kids around the band. Like, there wasn't even a stage back then. You just play on the floor.
2: I often wonder things like that you know if they were to happen today would it be the same or was it because we would have been certain ages it would have seemed better if you get what I mean
0: yeah yeah for sure I mean what I think also made it very different is back then you know you could be you know you could be quite poor and play really shitty equipment but no one really cared you know and I think now with you know, there was no social media back then. So, you know, bands were still putting flyers and cars, wipers on the windscreen in parking lots and shopping mall parking lots, promoting their bands. And, you know, I think when MySpace came, everybody was like, whoa, this is insane. And, um, you know, so I, I think there was like a level of, um there was a lot of DIY that was playing a very big role in your band's success, where I think now, you know, if you have a girl in your band and she can post half-naked, your band will get a lot of followers.
2: That's the secret, is it?
0: (laughs) That's all you need. You know, you just need a girl on guitar that plays with a really small top and a small shorts, and then your (laughs) band will get followers. It's really weird at the moment, you know, like Instagram and Facebook, it's just bizarre you know if you see some of these challenges that people do just to get you know just to get views and if you see how many people are suicidal when they don't get enough views or likes or shares <laughs> you know it's really crazy i don't like i don't i don't think back then any of us started playing music for any other reason than like telling a story you know where now it's just hey you know how popular can i become
2: Exactly. It's a competition to become famous.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know, where. So it's completely taken a 180 degree turn, you know, from what it was to what it is now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And how did Oot come
0: to be? Wow. Well, so, um, it's a pretty. How censored is your show? Oh, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically. It was basically um a guy I know who um had a prostitute in the back of his car who, who was sucking yeah, who was sucking him off and then she took out her teeth and then said ooth laka," which "laka" means good. Yeah, and then I just started saying the, the word ooth a lot and then people started calling me ooth. And then I was just like, Well then I'm gonna, you know, start a band and just call the band Ooth. <laughs> so yeah, it's often I get asked on radio, and then I'm just like, um, yeah, let's let me move along from that question.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's definitely <laughs> the most interesting origins of a band I've heard. You don't be careful though, you might have her come back sometime looking for royalties.
0: Whoa, geez. Just imagine that, eh? Might be looking for a lot more than royalties, you never know.
2: Well, that too, that too. But if she (laughs) she didn't have teeth at that stage, I'd say she could be uh, fairly past it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: (laughs) We'll jump into your concert experiences. It is concerts that made us after all. So first off, as a concert goer, what concerts have made you?
0: So the first band I ever saw live was Offspring and it was in there. It was like the in the pinnacle of Offspring, you know, when they were really on fire. So that was definitely insane. You know, I remember walking into this stadium and I was, I didn't even know you get places that big back then, let, you know, and then let alone a band that's so loud. Like, yeah, anyway, so that was pretty crazy. Then I've been lucky enough to open for a lot of, Cool bands: Um, Alkaline Trio, um, Funeral for Friends, the Corn, Metallica, Panic at the Disco, Aces, Full of My Valentine. Quite, quite, a, yeah, quite a lot. I can't really remember a, a lot of them. You know, so just all of those. I think what makes it really cool for me personally is being on the, you know, on the stage, watching how they actually work. Oh uh, yeah. You know, because that side of things really interests me. Um, I remember watching Bullet For My Valentine and their guitar techs change all their pedals for them. So those guitarists don't even change their own pedals.
2: Divas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, so that was quite interesting to see, you know. And then, yeah, so there was, you know, it's always cool to see the like background side of things. Um, And it was quite cool. I got to hang with quite a lot of these guys as well. Um, so it's cool you know you just get to talk and you know you get to learn quite a bit which is always great
2: so i'd imagine it's a pure education when from that point of view really
0: for sure man and some of the guys are really cool and actually most of them are really cool some of them aren't that cool and you just sort of walk away from the, those guys you know
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and out of your own gigs the, the ones you've played with Oot, is there a gig that you would revisit over and over that you would say is probably the best
0: experience you've had? I mean, I think the first gig was probably one I you know, would want to do again only because it was such a freak out. You know, it was, you know, as I walked out, I was just, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I not behind the drums? You know, there was just so much I didn't know. Um, you know, I was forgetting to press pedals, forgetting to tune my guitar. Um, my my one amp head blew in the intro, and then I didn't know what you know what to do, and oh, you know, and I forgot the other amp on standby, and there were just so many learning curves in that one one hour gap, you know. Yeah. Which was cool, you know, but you know, obviously now you've just learnt, you know, so you double check things and. You kind of know what to do before you go on.
2: I normally follow that question up with what's the worst gig experience you've ever had. But geez, with amp heads blown and uh, forgetting guitar pedals, I think that could classify as both the best and worst.
0: Yeah, man, I tell you what, it was pretty chaotic, you know, and also just every time a song ends and you're like, oh, man, what do I even say now? You know, because you can only do thank yous once. Um, so then you kind of need to come up with stuff that isn't cheesy and isn't lame but um, yeah it was pretty cool and uh, I actually filmed that whole show and put it up on YouTube as well so um, I, I kind of always thought it would be cool to watch your very first show and then kind of watch the progress from there throughout time until you eventually end that project and you can kind of always, you know, look back and see where it, where it started and where it ended.
2: How do you approach playing a gig, you know, as a drummer, as opposed to being the front man? Is there much of a difference?
0: Well, as a drummer, it's really, really, really easy. You know, you just get there and you get behind your kit, and you've got, you know, as long as you're playing your parts correctly, no one can really say anything. But as a vocalist, you're really in charge of things. You, know, you really have to, you know, take the bull by the horns and, you know, you, you sort of guide the whole mood of the evening. If you're in a bad mood and you're going to portray it to people, you, you know, you can very easily gain and lose fans depending on your attitude over the microphone, um, where as a drummer, you know, you can go there wh- however you want and just hit stuff, you know.
2: Yeah. And uh to give the listeners a little insight to behind the scenes pre-show and post show, how do you psych yourself up for the show? And then how do you wind down afterwards?
0: Sure. Um normally to psych up, so what I do is before before every tour, I have one or two live Green Day shows and then I that I that I always watch um just to kind of check that. Billy, um, you know that Billy Armstrong energy that he has, and then after and then after that, I watch the Queen Live Aid concert, and I, I I always watch those two before we go out on tour, and that sort of just reminds me like what you what you should be doing, you know, and how you should you know aim to control the crowds, and um, and then when I get to gigs, I just gen- you know generally have a, a few drinks before we go on and we're always making jokes backstage. We definitely a bunch of, you know, we're always running commentary and running jokes and, uh, you know, on stage we're all wearing in-ears, so we don't really, we can't really talk much to each other and make a lot of jokes on stage. Um, but yeah, we just take a lot of jokes after the gig. It's generally a bit of a party, you know? So, um, that's generally the unwinding phase. the, Parting and worrying about how you're gonna feel the next day. Quite an interesting story. On my launch tour, I asked everybody if we can go down to Cape Town two days earlier because I wanted to really protect my voice because I wasn't sure how it was gonna last. And then in classic Jason style, I decided to go out the night before the tour started and pulled it an all nighter and ended up losing my voice before the before the tour. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was taking like eight to 12 cortisone tablets just to try keep the little bit of voice I had left, but there was really nothing. It it just sounded like a terrible Rod Stewart.
2: <laughs> right. right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, lesson learned.
2: Yeah, yeah. You sound like a guy that, you know, likes to enjoy himself. You know, work hard, probably play hard as well. So what kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's definitely it. What kind of antics do you get up to while you're on tour? Is there any that you can share with us?
0: Mm, definitely love a good prank. Definitely good at that. Uh, hiding people's guitars away. Sometimes I take it out the case and hide it away. Or taking somebody's hi symbol off before the show starts. <laughs> and then we all walk out and then there's only one hi on the stand. Um, yeah, definitely like to... Uh, Pranks and you know, just have a good, you know, just have a good party all the all the time. You know, people I just think a lot of people are very uptight these days because there's so many worries. Everybody has a lot of stress and worries. Yeah, yeah, true. Sometimes it's good to just let, you know, encourage people to let loose a bit.
2: Yeah, enjoy yourself a bit.
0: Yeah, but also if you're gonna do that every night for three weeks, (laughs) it might become a bit of a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it could very (laughs) easily happen. Yeah, for sure.
2: When it comes to your career, how do you measure success?
0: I think I'm pretty weird like that. I think I don't really think of that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I just try to be better every year. You know, try to bring out a better album and try be a better drummer, a better singer. But, you know, it comes with all its challenges. You know, there's only 24 hours in a day. If there was a few more, it would come in really handy that's you know that's pretty much it yeah
2: i always follow that one up by in 30 years time what needs to have happened with your career for you to look back and feel fulfilled and like you achieved everything
0: i mean i think if i can still be alive that'll be a very great one because you know 30 years from now you you never know where your health might might be at because it's a very un or it can be a very unhealthy lifestyle because you not always eating great food and long, you know, long nights, a little bit of sleep, you know, putting a lot of effort in every day. Um, so definitely if you're alive, I think that's a good thing. And then I think if you can sort of leave behind music that people can listen to at some point in time and relate, I think that's always a good thing, you know?
2: And before we jump into the last couple of questions, what are your future plans? What's locked in place for you?
0: Um definitely keep doing these um, contracts abroad by um, playing drums in these contracts and then definitely keep bringing out youth music every year. Um, you know, maybe an album every year and um, music videos for all of the album songs. And then uh, maybe in a couple of years, I'll sort of start toning things down a bit on the gigging side of things. And then I would like to open up um my own recording studio and go more into the recording and producing side of things. It's a good plan. though. you don't hear many musicians saying that. Yeah, I think that'll be a really cool way to still keep your finger on the pulse, but you know, not be living on the road.
2: Yeah, kind of take a step back.
0: Yeah, because um, it 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 is quite interesting. Like after a while, you sort of reach like a, a like age where 18-year-old drunk people can become a bit annoying in a very busy club. Yeah. (laughs) But when you are that age, you know, you go hell for leather.
2: True, true. (laughs) Yeah. Right, we'll uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. Everybody gets these, I'm afraid, so you can't get off the podcast to answer. All right. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Led Zeppelin. I knew you were going to say that one. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't blame you. I don't even need to ask why. I'd love to see them myself.
0: Yeah, man. What a what a what a band, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the next one, if you had to spend twenty four hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be?
0: Oh, I think Hendrix or Freddie Mercury. Ah.
2: Good choices. Good choices. What would
0: you hope to learn from either of them? Um, I mean, I I, I think both of them just made because they, you know, obviously one's guitarist, one's vocalist, but the 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 kind of way how they flawlessly were just so iconic at what they did. You know, they the one just made playing the guitar look so easy, but You know, he was like a messy guitarist, but an incredible guitarist. And then obviously Freddie was just, you know, probably one of the best ever and probably will be one of the best ever forever. But he also looked pretty flawless. You know, the way he used to control crowds that size, and it just looked like he was having fun. It never looked like he was really working.
2: Yeah, yeah, true, true. I always think it's funny, the answers to that question kind of go in cycles. And I feel like for the last maybe five or six episodes, I'm after getting Hendrix as an answer.
0: Hey, yeah, that's interesting.
2: And the final question. What yes. song would appear on the soundtrack to your life?
0: Ooh. I mean, I could probably take the... Maybe a night after a big party, i will probably say Stay Away to Heaven. But um, maybe after... If I wasn't after a big night, I'd probably say rock and roll could be a good one. Um, rock and roll. Also, if we're going with modern, probably something like Monkey Wrench could be another good one. Yeah, there's just so many good songs. You know, it's hard to pinpoint.
1: If I said I wasn't going out tonight, I'd be lying. 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 Drawing the cash We're going big Till we Finally crash Only one more sleep Till Chris.
2: chills when there's no breeze, sounds you can't explain, foreboding feelings of dread, sheer horror. This is Haunting Abaddon,
1: an original podcast from Epilid Media featuring stories of the paranormal, demonic possessions, poltergeists and hauntings. And all things that will scare the hell out of you. These things do more than go bump in the night.
2: Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time.
1: We'll be here. Bye.